The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Goldmines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world, to an all-new episode of Comedy Goldmines. Goddamn, man. Why, why am I happy? That's the question that I ask myself every day, and I give myself an answer. Because I get to do this shit. I get to do this shit. And guys... If you do not know the definition of comedy gold mines, I will tell you again. This is a show where I get to get inside the brilliant minds of comedians. And oh my God, what amazing minds they are. And today's mind is so fucking good. Somebody that I was so thrilled that I was going to get the opportunity to talk to. Ladies and gentlemen, I got Bob Saget. Kevin. Fucking Bob Saget. Kevin, you're, you're cutting me deep. I needed this love. I'm so lonely right now. <laughs> I swear. You are so, you make me, you know, you're powerful and you're adorable. Oh, man. Thank you. Hashtag comedy rock star shit. Yeah. You know, heart hustle, hustle heart. I, you empower me just by looking at your hashtags. Oh, my God, man. That means the world to me, Bob. Well, it means the world that you wanted me on this. You got a new damn podcast. And you put me on. Yeah, early, man. Early. I, wanted, I wanted to talk to you. You know why I wanted to talk to you, Bob? Because I feel like. You're one of those guys that are in this comedy space that people really, truly don't know. Like, they know you. They know the star of Bob Saget. They know your Hollywood story, but they don't know you. And I, I, I wanted to talk to you because I was one of the guys that got to see you perform at a young age in Los Angeles. And I remember seeing you curse. <laughs> and, and I was so shocked... <laughs> I was so shocked that Bob Saget was on stage cussing. Like it was at um, it was like it was it was at the Laugh Factory on the Laugh Factory on Sunset. And this is years yeah. ago, years mm -hmm. ago, man. And you know, this is when I was like, I was fresh in LA, and it was so dope to see you on stage. But I was like, oh shit, Bob is not only like a comedian, Bob is an edgy comedian. And what that did for me was it, it showed me like that that in this space of entertainment, you can redefine yourself and you can step into so many different lanes and have success in doing it. Because I was looking at the guy that was TV's fucking amazing dad. This guy was a representation of fatherhood on TV. And then on stage, you had like bits and you said fuck and shit. And I was like, he's a comic. Exactly. He's a comic. And my roots were where yours were. I started in Philly. Get out of here. I started in Philly at a club called Grandma Minnie's doing music parodies. And you start, I know you started at a club in Philly and then you, you did an amateur night and then you went up to Boston or something, right? Yeah, I'd, uh, I did Philadelphia for me. I went to New York before Boston. Uh, I see. New York was my gateway to, to any type of success. But Philadelphia was where it all, it all started to come together. The Laugh House Comedy Club. And there was a place called the New Market Cabaret which right. was like, a, it wasn't really a comedy club. It was like a, a little space that they, that they could transform into like a theater on some nights and they would do live shows. And, you know, the, the, the comedy shows are where I kind of got my, uh, that's where I got my tough skin. Cause that's why I took some, I took some serious lashings at the new market cabaret. I bombed the hell out of myself for a long time. I was working at a place called stars owned by Steven stars who Steven Starr owns uh, Budokan and a lot of restaurants. And he, he had a great 
place and I got to open for a lot of people, but I was, you know, I was going to Temple University and my, your mom, I know, worked at University of Pennsylvania. University my, of Pennsylvania. My mom worked at CHOP at Children's Hospital. Holy shit. I, that was my hospital. Uh, and my nephew had his face redone there. Not to Holy open with- Holy shit. Open with big laughs, but uh, <laughs> the tragedy, man, that's where it comes from is tragedy. Um, when, when did you start, Bob? What, what age? What, what age did you start doing stuff? I was comedy? 17 and WMMR in Philadelphia had a radio contest at a club called Grandma Minis. And I got on stage, a 17 year old guy, and sang a song about bondage. Holy and shit. If, you know, people are wondering, hey, Bob got, you know, demented. Is it? No, my dad did it to me. He just did weird comedy because we had a lot of death. And so he laughed at a bunch of sick shit. So here I am. And I won 500 bucks. <laughs> you won $500. So you, your first time out the gate, you won. First time won, out the and, gate. And then I didn't win. And then it was a lot of years. And then I would, probably do what you did. I took the train to New York while you were in New York and I would go to Catch a Rising Star in the improv and wait in line 12 hours, sign the sheet, mm. get up on stage, do comedy music. I hid behind a guitar for a long time. And then once I started getting stronger and moved to LA and went to the comedy store, then I, Mitzi, the owner made me a MC and I learned to do time, you know, really eight years MCing. Why LA? Why to move to LA? Like what, what is it that prompted that? What, what, what is it that popped in your head that said, I got to get there, you know, when you were in this space of comedy in the beginning? I realized I'd weigh 300 pounds if I just kept eating cheesesteaks. So mm. I had to get out of Philly because I was going to be obese. There was no He's, way. There was, it's, you know, I, I didn't pull on ropes like you and tires. I didn't pull like, you pull 40 sled dogs in the snow. Yeah, you, <laughs> I see what you, I can't jump through tires. You, you, I think you could throw the rock. I think you could lift him and catch him on your on your I'll hand. I fuck the rock up. I fuck DJ up. I tell him all the time. I whoop his ass. <laughs> I tell him every day. I'll fuck you up if you ever. I do it. I try to do it at least. I, and if I didn't, I bite the shit out of you. It's gonna be one of them. One That's of them what you'll happen. do. You'll bite. You'll yeah, bite him. Bite the shit out of him. <laughs> you get to you get to L.A. You're now in the comedy scene. Well, I got there because I, I made this movie about my nephew who had his face reconstructed actually at Temple University. I'm sorry, at, at University of Pennsylvania, but I made a film at Temple University and I won the Student Academy Award when I was 21 years old. The Academy flew me out. Really? Yeah. Now, when you say you made the film, what do you mean? Were you, you directed, you wrote? I directed it. I directed a, directed a documentary. My nephew narrated, he was seven. And at, at Children's Hospital, they did a special surgery where they took his face down and they put ribs in from his oh chest, God. obviously, and put it in his cheeks. And uh, and then I was going to go to USC grad school to be a filmmaker. Oh, my God. I got in, got in. And then at the comedy store, you didn't get paid. Mitzi said, you shouldn't go to grad school. You should work here for free. And I went, okay. Because that night that I was there, Robin Williams was there. Letterman was hosting. I was like, fuck. That was your class. Who who else was in your class? Well, they were they were ahead of me, but they were in my class. That was I your mean, class, Bob. That's your Yeah. That's your class. You can't say you can't say they were ahead of you. I mean, you know, they may have been well, they doing, were. They, 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 were, they were doing were. bigger things yes. at the time, but your success your success came after, but that's still your core world of of comedy group, I would assume, right? Well, it's yeah. And it's interesting because I always think about this cuz I I was insecure and yet I don't know if you go through this. I don't feel like you do because you're so confident, you know, but I was on stage. I had this comedic demeanor that became more and more confident. Mm -hmm. And, but I was always a nice guy, you know, always trying to say hard. I said horrible things, but I didn't mean anything by him. You know, Why, people, what, and you say the dark, the dark comedy came from your father, the dark comedy it came, came from my father and it came from losing a lot of family members. I, okay. I lost, I lost my sisters. I lost, you know, we've had uh, one sister died of scleroderma, hardening of the skin, one sister mm -hmm. mental illness and uh, brain aneurysm. And it wasn't a fun childhood. You how, know? how many brothers and sisters? That was it. I had the two older sisters. So uh, I became an only child. And uh, now I'm just trying to cure the stuff they died from. You know, you do, what you do what you can. You do everything you can for people. Yeah, absolutely. That's the gift. So so is it safe to say that comedy comedy acted as a as a safe haven, a feel good? Uh, yeah. You know, while dealing with the hurt? Yeah. And dealing with the pain? Yeah. Yeah, you you know it does, and it's Absolutely. like it's, a, it's that. And I was doing it seven days a week, all the time, mm -hmm. and um, and then I would try to get parts and things. But 
I was on the road too. I would go tour and I was a headliner right away because I did, you know, guitar stuff. So I started headlining clubs right when a show called Make Me Laugh was on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but mm -hmm. like people that I looked up to, Robin and David and, uh, and um, I mean, I was friends with Arsenio. We were on, we on the road together. I was friends with a lot of people. I remember sitting at the back of the room, Billy Crystal came over and just started asking me about myself. And I was talking to Michael Keaton, who was a great stand-up. And Richard was kind of the, obviously the, the king. So I would try to know Richard and I ended up knowing him and I ended up, you know, being in a movie he made, Critical Condition, and became kind of, kind of close to him. Not one of his uh, closest friends, but he I, had a relationship. Go, I, I went to his house and visited him when he was, mm -hmm. you know, and um, it was, he was a special, he asked me once, what age did I know I was funny? And uh, what's your age that you knew you were funny? What age did I know I was funny? That's a great yeah. question. I'm going to give you an honest answer. Uh, I'm going to say very young, man. You know, at the age, at that age, 8 to 10, when you could start to take over a room. And what yeah. I mean by that, you know, at the age 8 to 10, a child has the ability to have not only conversations, but an amazing personality. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you, a, a personality flourishes at that age because a, a kid is just a kid is is vibrant. You know, they're yep. they're energetic. They're they're an energy source. Uh, and if if you have that, you you know how to use it. And at the age eight to ten is when I started to use that thing. You know, I, I knew I knew what came with getting a laugh. I knew the feeling that it gave me when other people laughed at what I did, whether it was an impression, whether it was a, a, a funny fall, whether it was a joke, whether yep. it was a gesture, whatever it was, there was something that, that really lit up in me when people gave me that. And I fell in love with that. I never looked back just at wanting that. And that's, you know, that's where the class clown came from. The funniest cousin in the family, the silliest uh, sibling. Like literally I can go down the list of titles that I started to get after that age because of the love that I had that was attached to the laugh. Did you know you wanted to be a comedian? Did you know that? Or, cause I know you had other jobs. I didn't know I wanted to be a comedian until after it was suggested. I knew that I knew that I loved it. I knew that it was dope as hell, but it wasn't until the suggestion came up of you should go around a corner and perform on amateur night. <laughs> then I was like, oh shit, you can actually do this. Because right. the biggest thing, Bob, like, you know, I, I hear you talking about when you first started and you, you, you went to uh, the club and, you know, you had your guitar and it was a, you know, a <laughs> night of competition. You won $500. Well, I didn't seek after it. It found me, me. Me either. It found me. I didn't think I was going to do it. I was going to be a doctor. Then I was going to be a filmmaker. I still get to do that. I still am directing something later in the year. Mm -hmm. But and now I'm acting in something in, in quarantine. But we'll talk about that later. But uh, nine, you were right between eight and ten. Because nine for me, I mean, you're not right. I mean, you're right for you. But for me, nine is like I was in my prime. Nine was prime. Wow. I I was on fire. I could <laughs> I could crush. I could crush girls like me, guys like me. I was like, and then about twelve. Once I started hitting puberty, everything fell to shit. I just lost it, man. I had no <laughs> Kevin. I had no mojo. I wasn't funny. I felt like was that this, last was last this week. Life? Was this life that was attached to it, or you felt like something just changed? Something just changed. I, I think I was just becoming more insecure as I became a young man. Mm -hmm. But I, when I was talking to Richard about when he thought he was funny, we both said four years old is when we knew that we were funny because I was popular at four, like on the short bus to kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it was a short bus because it happened to be a small bus. I just want to be clear. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm, I can offend myself. I mean, what the hell are we going to do now? I mean, I'm going out on the road and I'm doing it because I need to. But what the hell am I going to do? How long is it going to take to fucking tee something up and then apologize in the middle and then tee out of it? It's three minutes in. It's one minute in apology in the middle and then five minutes to dig out. 
And then I got to write my own soundbite and review to butcher myself. <laughs> then I got to, then I got to save myself again so I can get the next one out. You're going on the road. I'm going, I'm going to do the hard rock in Atlantic city. I'm going in. Um, you have material. You got new material, Bob. I had new material before COVID. I had, I don't know if we heard about COVID, but it's been bad. Uh, <laughs> That's my material, Kevin. You know how you get up and you just start going, that's me. I just do it. And I, I'm so much more conscious of what I don't want to do to hurt anybody. Mm -hmm. So I am careful of that, but I still can't help myself because I'm still that teenager who's going to fuck up. This is what I'm telling you. It, people don't know, like for my listeners, man, Bob <laughs> is raunchy. You know, it's so funny. I did my last special a couple of years ago and I went to the producer before doing two shows that night. And I said, I'm not going to be as dirty this show. I just know it. And then I got off the first show and he said, you're not going to be as dirty. <laughs> I said, well, next, next show, I'm not going to be as dirty, but I'm not like gynecologically dirty. I just, I don't know. I think I'm less, I mean, I'm more responsible as a guy who loves embracing the TV dad part of myself, mm -hmm. but also those 14 year olds shouldn't be seeing my stand up. They should go. not. It there should be eight, 17, 18 and up, you know, and my friend's kids who are 17, 18, they get it. They understand where I'm coming from, but I'm not doing it to shock. I, I, I am not. You're doing it because it's, it's really who you are. It's who I am and it's who I came up with. And it's who I, I know you just had Cedric on. Cedric was on my podcast and we came up together. I mean, I wasn't having any fun. Um, after I did the video show in Full House, I'd lost my, when those ended, I had lost my, I lost something funny. I didn't know, and I doubt that I didn't love them. It's wonderful. You make the world laugh. I love being able to do television that was for families. You could sit down with your family, you know? Mm -hmm. I still want to do that stuff. There's nothing wrong with that, but people can't differentiate if they think that's you. I mean, it's like Anthony Hopkins is Hannibal Lecter. He don't eat people, you know? Yeah, yeah. it's a great comparison, by the way. Conan O'Brien told me that Anthony Hopkins does eat people. He, there's a chance that he actually may eat humans. Maybe, uh, maybe. maybe. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a Slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Do you still have, do you still enjoy it? Like, do you still find the joy in stand-up comedy? Or is it, or is it now, like you said, because of the times, is it becoming work? No. Is it still fun or is it work? I have to do it. I have no choice. I have to challenge myself. I have to be better than I've ever been. And I have to say something. And I've got a lot to say. Um, and a lot of my new stuff is stuff that I was working on before all this craziness. That was the temperament of the country. Because I grew up, I'm a lot older than you. I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia. And there were segregated bathrooms. So I've got like mm. seven minutes on that. So it mm. becomes more stories that are a little more relevant than I've ever told, more mm -hmm. mature, but they more always conscious. end. I think I, I need to be, I need to be, because uh, I, I owe it to myself and I owe it to everybody. 
to not just come out and do like, you know, I can't do 90 dick jokes. I can do 80. You can... <laughs> or, or I could do four really big dick jokes. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, you know, there are certain things people laugh at. And, you know, you do what makes you laugh. And then, and I do the same kind of thing. I think a lot of us do. Of that course. Wanna, that we, we go, you know, I'm going to keep going on this. <laughs> you know? If you can't have a good time doing what you love, then it's going to be tough for you to continue to do it. Yeah. Like, like for me, I need to enjoy it. I, I like that I enjoy what I do. And when, when, when you lose that, well, it just complicates it. it. It makes it tough. You mentioned you mentioned such a great group of of comics. You know, like you said that that you were coming up with that were in these rooms with you that were in these comedy clubs with you. Um, who who inspired you back then? Who acted as as that 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 motivation or driving force to get to that place of success? A couple of the people who were the, the greats, uh, when Richard told me I'm funny, and I was like 24 when I met him, or I was actually met him at 22, but I didn't know him until 24. And when he said, that was funny, that thing you did that you were talking about. And I was like, whoa, you know, it was one of my idols. And Rodney Dangerfield did a lot for me. Rodney put me wow. on his, his first Young Comedian wow. special on HBO. And Rodney gave me good advice, Kevin. He wow. said- and you, 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 this is the best advice I got. He went, like a tank, man. You just go like a tank. Nobody wants to help you. They all want you to fucking fail. You just go like a fucking tank, man. Wow. Blinders on. You just keep going. Because people are going to try to, they don't, they don't want to help you. Because he'd been hurt a lot. And he changed his name three times to get where he was. I didn't know that. He was Jacob Cohen. And then he was Jack Roy. And then a club owner named him Rodney Dangerfield one night. I never, I never yeah. knew that. He did it. His reason for doing it was what? Looking for the thing to stick or, or what? Yeah, he didn't have the success as, as Jack Roy um, and Jacob Cohen. You know, that was like, man, they're going to come after me, you know. Who else? Was Steve Martin? What, what about Steve Martin? I had, I had not met Steve till later, mm -hmm. and, and, and he's only been gracious to me. But, no, I, I looked up to him a lot. I mean, okay. he was, to me, he was to be brilliant and silly, which is pure entertainment. So you're, you're making everybody laugh. You're kind of hitting everybody. And, and that, I would find myself laughing because I went, oh, he's so smart. And look what he's doing. And, um, and then when he started doing movies, it was, well, it's kind of how you fit into movies, you know? It's just an easy fit. And, it's, and, and the jerk was really wonderful. Maybe wouldn't fly today. I talked to Carl Reiner, God bless him, before he died. And he was saying he couldn't make it today because of the, you know, there was racial there's stuff. A, yeah, there's a, there's, a lot, there's a lot in it that, that people would definitely push back on today. There's a lot of stuff of old that's, you know, historic that, that are, you know, classics. But if you go back and watch those things today, I mean, there's a lot of cringe moments uh, yeah. at the things that were that we just overlooked as people. And, you know, everything happens for a reason, Bob. I've, I've said it before. I've had some conversations on this podcast where I've definitely said I have no problem with with changing and, you know, uh, becoming better. And right. I feel like some of the changes that are are being requested are are well worthy of it. You know, like we we should be more aware and more conscious. So, you know, I'm I'm here for it. I, I'm not against it at all. Um it doesn't I make agree. You think, I though, agree. Cause we because change has to happen. And this whole year mm -hmm. has caused a lot of things to go 180. And mm -hmm. it's also made me feel more responsible. Sometimes mm -hmm. I do wish I could go back and and re-say and redo some things, mm -hmm. but it, the past is the past. All I can do is grow from this moment and, and exactly. impart more love and more humor and uh, probably not as blue, I don't think. You say what you want. I mean, I, I've never heard someone who's religious say, God damn it, more than you and made me laugh more. With <laughs> your, and it's not, a, it's not a sacrilege, but you're going, God damn it. And I, yeah, I'm laughing at it. Right. And you know who said that a lot? I was Don, a lot. Don Rickles, another guy I looked up to. 
um, who are also, this is a different time. You know, this is not. That would have been tough for Don as well. If, mm -hmm. if these times would have been tough. But, Richard but, too. You talking about Richard, it would have been yeah. tough. Tough as well. You know what I mean? You, Bernie, we can go down the list of oh, people. Oh, I love that, Bernie. So, so many people shouldn't be gone. Bernie was, did you, were you friendly with Bernie? I knew Bernie, man. I, I had a relationship with Bernie Mac and, you know, to the late stages of, of Bernie's career when he was finding that crazy wave that he was riding. Um, this was like in the beginning of, of mine. It's like, you know, when I just started to see a door that I could get through and me and Bernie were meeting. I remember he was doing a movie with Ashton Kutcher that was called Guess Who? That's the name of the movie. And I remember filming that, I remember Bernie was filming that movie and I went to go meet with him and we were talking about working together. We were talking about, you know, the day of, you know, doing a movie together. And it's like, fuck, you know, Bernie was gone. I look up, Bernie had passed away. And I'm like, damn, you, you, you take these moments for granted. But I was like, I was talking to a legend. I was talking to a legend at the later stages of his life about doing something. Yeah. And I was so excited about the possibility of doing it. And then the legend passed away. And he shouldn't have gone, man. That was a rare disease. Um, he also was so smart and had so much love in him. He was, Larry Wilmore is an old friend and he was the producer of his show. And I've known Larry forever. And, and I just, it's the people like Robin Williams. I, I, I've been doing this benefit for scleroderma for years, 30 years. We raised $50 million. I lost a sister to it. You raised how much again, Bob? Jesus. Over, over 50 million for, for research, for the scleroderma wow. research foundation. But Robin Williams showed up seven times over those 30 years. And he would just show up and go, what do you need chief? And he, here's a guy, you know, talk about playing both ends of the spectrum. He would be the family guy in movies. You know, there's nothing mm -hmm. better than Mrs. Doubtfire. You know, mm -hmm. that's that for me. You know, I remember when the day of 9-11, every network ran the same footage for 24 hours. But Fox television, network television, ran Mrs. Doubtfire that night. And I talked to people and I said, what did you watch that night that we were all in hell together? And I know people that said, I watched Mrs. Doubtfire because it's a... And that's what we did. He made us laugh on the worst day we could live. I mean, Robin Williams is, is, I mean, he's, he's a goat. You know, you're talking yeah. about one of the greatest of all time. Agreed. Uh, from, from impressions to, to, to that actual stage and doing stand up. I mean, you know, Robin had this one man show isk type thing with mm -hmm. with the performance like there was so much there's so many levels like when he left the stage he he was tired he was oh tired he was sweating so bad. much he would so he would much he would apologize about his bo when he got off stage because it was he said i'm hairy sorry i'm so hairy sorry i smell and and then he was a one-man show if you were on stage with him <laughs> <laughs> I did it a little bit. Like he would get on stage and the only way that I could do anything was to dry hump him. You know, that was the only <laughs> And then he would go, no, I'm okay. I'm okay, chief. And then he'd go, ha ha, you know, and grab my, my wiener. And uh, we didn't grab it. You know, it was all mime. But uh, that's just the joy of, you know, when you say his name, people get sad. People just get sad. Cause they just, it's, it was a tough thing to lose. Like you just named some people that, you know, we're, we were truly hurt and saddened to lose. Who's your, who's your biggest, who's your, your biggest influence? My biggest influence? Uh, yeah. I mean, Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, yeah. definitely. There's no way where I can get around the influence that Eddie Murphy has had on me. Um, yeah. Dave Chappelle as of late has a massive, yeah impact and influence on me as Chris I love Rock. him so much. Did you go to Ohio and do that? Yeah, I went down there. I, I did too. There. How did you like it? I loved it. I loved it. I was back there with Chris Tucker, who I know with, that you was an influence on you, which I never mm -hmm. under, uh, realized because you're yeah. young. You're a young yeah. man. <laughs> I'm, I'm 41 now, though. I'm getting up there. How old are you? Yeah. I'm 64. 64. 64? You look but fucking I have the, great, man. I have the thank you, but the testicles of a 41-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> they're in tupperware in my fridge but um 
But I was on, I, it was Louis C.K., uh, Darnell, and, uh, and, and Chris Tucker, and Dave. And Dave and I just, we go way back, you know. I did that cameo in Half Baked while I was directing Dirty Work. And Dave and I just, I don't know. Dirty I just, Work. Yeah. Dirty was, Work. Dirty Work. To my listeners, I challenge you guys to go watch the movie Dirty Work. Dirty Work is Kevin, pound I for love pound. This. Pound for pound. One of the funniest movies you will ever fucking see. When I tell you, when I tell you, Norm, listen, when I tell you the humor in That's Dirty Work was so amazing to me. The, 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 this, this, this world of comedy, this, this like the, the not over the top, the, the, the conversation side of comedy where right. it's about the words it's about it's about what we're saying dirty work perfected that dirty oh, you're, work you're wonderful man that was that, was a, that. that you want to be in the sequel we're making it oh oh my god i do a cameo all day okay i do a fucking cameo all day man i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you the funniest scene for you uh, uh one of the funniest moments in dirty work so in dirty work there's a scene where they're about to have like the fight. It's like the bar fight. Right. And he's at the jukebox. He's like, oh, we got to put on some bar fighting music. That's the beautiful Chris Farley. Chris Farley. And he puts on, if you like pina coladas. <laughs> and, and then they start the fight. It's, the, it's just not the right choice of music for a fight. Clearly the, the, the comedy choice there. But when I tell you, there's so many moments like that. There's so many moments Thank like you. that in that movie. That's the greatness of Norm MacDonald. It's like, I guess you'd look at it like the old Jack Benny movies. There's something where someone just stands there and shit goes on all around him. And he goes, hey, what's wrong with that dude? You know? Or, <laughs> hey, homeless guy, here's your $2. Yes. You know? Yes, he addresses talking, it. He addresses, he addresses, <laughs> he talks at people with the title of what they would be. <laughs> you know, good evening, ladies of the evening. You know? Yes. <laughs> Yes, he's fucking brilliant, man. How did you? How did how did Dirty Works come about? Um, Dirty Work was a script that Norm wrote with uh, Frank Sebastiano, who wrote the original draft, and Fred Wolf. Mm -hmm. Bob Simons produced it, and um, I'm the first comedian Norm ever saw in Ottawa, Canada, when he was 17 and I was 22. Wow. I still don't know how he's younger than me, but that's the story. He's sticking to it, and he's sticking to it. He's not letting right? it go. No, I think he is younger, and and so. I don't know. We had a closeness. Uh, you know, we, we just had a thing. And um, he thought I was the right guy to direct it. I met with Bob Simons. I met with the people at MGM. And they said, yeah. And uh, the other movie that I wanted to direct that Bob was producing was Half-Baked. That's the other movie that I was interested in. Because mm. I loved Dave mm. and I loved Jim Brewer and, and Harlan. And I knew everybody, you know. Did and you come so close? I, I, I came close enough because Simons gave me dirty work, you know. And that, and that was a big deal for me. Because that was a... And it was it was a cult favorite. It didn't make money that weekend because that weekend that we opened, we didn't have the. I don't. You've never had this problem, I don't think. Although you've been in a lot of movies, maybe back in the day. But our poster for Dirty Work said "Coming Soon." <laughs> <laughs> there ain't no date on there. <laughs> I mean, it's coming eventually. Nobody, nobody knew when. Well, nobody knew. The weekend it opened was the last two days that Michael Jordan played for the Bulls. Oh, my so, God. That was like, uh, okay, that's our audience, the 16-year-old oh, kids that watch oh Norman and Saturday Night Live. Oh. But, uh, but since then, I mean, the praise you just gave it is beautiful, man. And I'm no, going to I'm I'm hate for the cameo. I'll come to your house to film it. I, listen, I'm dead ass. I'm, I mean it when I say truly one of my favorite movies of all time, man. One of my uh, favorite movies. You don't even know. I'm lonely in quarantine shooting a movie, and I'm out of quarantine. But you are actually turning me on right now. This is like the <laughs> best. And I, I get to see my wife soon, so I'm going to take this, and she's going to get some of it. You're going you're gonna to take this energy, and you're going to go drop some dick. Bob is going no. to drop some dick. <laughs> my dick That's dropped years ago. Said. <laughs> no. That's what he said. He's going to no, go. I he's going to deliver. I That's what you're going to do. That's going to be the time. That's going to be the quote. That's, that's the only sound bite. Bob's going to drop some dick. How, uh, how long have you been married, Bob? I've been married for four years. Um, and uh, she's a, a grown-up woman, and I love her a lot. And I got <laughs> three great daughters. 
that are um, 34 and 31 and 28. And I have a nice ex-wife and I got women all over my life and I have nothing but uh, love and respect. And my kids love me and they, they're coming to see my stand up uh, when I'm in Atlantic city. Cause they, uh, my daughters and I are very, they, they like look at stuff and go, dad, I don't know why people get, anybody gets out of whack with you. You're, you're full of love on stage, you know? That's huge. Well, and how many kids you got? You got five? You I got four. And, and four kids. How, how old? Are they? They're young, right? Daughter is 16, son 14, youngest son three, and youngest daughter seven months. Yeah. Oh. I'm all over the map. Oh, congratulations. Map. God bless Thank you. Thank you, man. It, it, is, is a seven-month-year-old sleeping? Yeah. Yeah, she's doing good. Sleeping through the night, you know, I just laugh at the fact that I was almost done and decided to have two more. Like, literally, my kids were about to be at the house. I'm close. I'm right there at the finish line. And then I just brought two more fuckers in here. So now, <laughs> you know, now, now we're, we're right back where we once were, man. But it's good. It's a, it's a blessing. I love that you said, you know, 34, 31, 28. You know, you're, you're, you're at the finish line. Uh, are you happy with the job that you did as a, yeah, as a father? Yeah, they... They prove to me that I'm a good person. Mm. That's how I know I'm a good person when I when I look at them mm. and when I get to spend time with them. They both, my two older ones came out to LA um, during this whole quarantine and they quarantined and they, they got tested. So we were all safe during it. And we spent some wonderful time together. And I, I don't want my and my wife loves them. They love each other. What are you What are you shooting now? I'm shooting a movie um, right now. The title is uh, Blue Iguana, but I think it's going to be called Killing Daniel because <laughs> Blue Blue Iguana. Anyway, but it's with I think you know Joel David Moore. He's in it. I know who that is. I do know who that is. Yeah, you, you, he says you know him. And Jason Jones and Mary Lynn Rice Cub and Carly Chaikin, who's uh, on Mr. Robot. She's so good. They're all good. And um, and Iggy Pop is in it. Um, okay. Yeah, so it's a cool uh, indie movie that's a, a murder thing, a nice, a nice R-rated murder thing, and I'm I'm kind of the corporate guy in it. How are you with work today? I mean, is it something that you know is is less more for you, or do you like to stay active, stay busy? Like where where are you at now at the age sixty four, just with the business in general? Like I know that you've embraced stand up, and you still embrace stand up, and you said you need it. You're gonna continue to do it because you love it. Is it the same with the acting side of it, or or you know, or is that road uh, getting slimmer? No, I, I have to do more of it. I think it's going to be my busiest decade. I can't stop working. I'm working on a lot of different projects, an animated thing. I'm trying to be following your footsteps. You're an inspiration. But I, I can't stop working. I, I, I'm, I've always been a workaholic, always had a strong work ethic. That's how I was raised. Why do you think it's still, it's still there? Is there a goal attached to the work ethic? Is there, is there an end game for you? Is there a want of I'm trying to achieve said thing? Or is it, like you said, just the abundance of staying busy, got to work, got to do, got to do? No, it's more than that. The, 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 the got to do, got to do is because I want to leave a legacy that is even more meaningful for me. I know that I did family shows that meant a lot to people. I know I've done some stand-up that's meant something to people. But I, I have other movies I want to make as a director, as an actor. And I want to do stand-up at another level too and i'm working on it so um i i know that i, I can only improve because i've seen my work <laughs> mm. Mm. i just i need to i i really want to contribute as much as i can i know that you're motivated for a lot of reasons and one of them is you've got a fire in you i've got a fire in me nice you got a fire in you to do it and i i will always have that fire I, I know that I will. I don't know if I'll be on stage at 80 years old doing stand-up. I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. Maybe. What comedian can we say, you know, got to a crazy age and was still doing, you know, hours of comedy on stage? I'm, I'm going to go on a whim. You know, is Cosby the oldest that probably was still actively doing it? Rickles did to 91. So he was doing it. I saw him at about 90. And he was... he. Stood up once during the show, but it was mostly sit down. Was um, it still? Was he still together? Was were were he was, was everything he, still shaping up and and matching the way it was supposed to? He got lost a little bit, but he knew he knew what he was doing. I mean, he still mm -hmm. was lucid inside of there. Age is a weird thing, and you want it. What you got going for you is to stay in that shape, to stay in shape, so you can 
get up and walk around on stage. I watch old Carlin stuff and you see that he went through some stuff and, and watch people age through the years in their specials. Um, you know, my next special, I, I, I plan to look better. I'm going to CGI my head on your body. <laughs> Hi, it's Stephen Colbert. And I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure. Because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show, because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Are you going to do another special? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got I a new hour, so I got to figure out. I wrote a bunch of new music, which my comedy songs are kind of, you know, uh, they're just something I do, and I've always done them. And so they, they're I like. I love it. I, I love, love it, Bob. I love, I love the ambition. I love the drive. I love talking to you and, and, and seeing and understanding that you're still about, you're still very much about this life. You're still like, you know, and this is, this is something that, you know, I can segue into with another question, but you know, as comedians, there's, there's always the question of, is, is there, is there a stopping point? Right. No. And it's something that I struggle with. It's something where I struggle with of, of there being a stopping point. And I don't think I ever want to stop getting on stage. Right. I think that, I, you know, there's a point where the specials and stuff won't be attached to it, where I won't need to punctuate it with the special or the, right. you know, that I won't have to do that. But you 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 can't just leave this shit it's you know, too I, you said it when the door opened and you came into it you didn't know that you were going to take this path i think that's the same way we're going out i don't think we know how we're gonna stop doing it but i don't have any plan to stop doing it i can't mm. retire i don't know what that means I do have one story I wanted to share with you. I've told it before, but it's, about, it's about Eddie. Okay. So this is a story that is just why he kind of is the best, not to diminish at all that Dave is the best, Chris is the best, Bill Burr is the best. You know, these people are, mm -hmm. are, are, are the best. So, and everybody preceded all the, the, the greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. but, but I was there at the comedy store hosting for way too many years. <laughs> Arsenio went out to do Arsenio and Howie Mandel left to go do Sam Elsewhere and I was hosting the comedy store. But my reward for that was being with all of these amazing people. So Eddie Murphy came in to work out raw and I was hosting in the main room. Holy fuck. I, he was working on the material while you were hosting. I was working and, and he did it two Fridays in a row. This is what you're going to love because okay. of how you work. Okay. And I, I know what kind of uh, professional you are. So Eddie comes out, I, he, one week he wore the red leather and one week he wore the blue leather. I don't know which week was which. I don't know what was the magic outfit, but the, that fr first Friday he came in, I brought him out on stage. He came out like very, you know, respectful, like a, like a knight in shining armor, right? Comes out, amazing applause at the top. You know what it's like, the, the, the walls are rattling, you know, the shaking, mm -hmm. does the set, gets great applause at the end, does about, I don't know, about 50, 55 minutes. It was really great. Um, I told him how good it was. He was like, thank you. And I could just see he was in thought, trying to figure it out, think about it. One week later, one week, and I talked to people because we were all going up at the improv, wherever anybody went up. And I don't know, I don't think he went up anywhere else. If he did, we didn't hear about it because everybody would say Eddie was at the improv Thursday, Friday, whatever. I mean, Wednesday, Thursday. So he comes back the next week in the other outfit. And I'm not saying that's a secret. <laughs> it's not like an Avenger suit. And he came out and the walls shook when he came out. And he did about an hour and 10. And he took everything that he had done the week before. And with different adjustments on his performance and how he was going to attack that set and in how he made it more conversational and added, he didn't pad time. He just made it more real. And 
you, it was five minutes of applause at the end. You would have thought the building was going to come down. I had never, wow. I still have never seen anyone do what he did. Wow. And I said to him, that was amazing. And him being as smart as he is, I had a feeling, I, I know that he knew that I had hosted him the week before. And he, he, that time he stood there and looked at me with that, yes, sir. Because I, 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 I could see that he knew how he did it. Mm. And, and it comes with mm. confidence. You saw, you saw him surgically put it together. Yeah, Surgi- you saw him put exactly. it together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You and saw him was... put the goddamn moments together and come back with adjustments. You were able, you were able to witness uh, Eddie Murphy fucking build on what to date is one of the most historic specials ever done. If and, not, al- and always will be. Yeah, if not the best, I will say I, I I can say you know it's it's definitely an argument uh, of that being the best ever done. Um, Chappelle has made a a case for you know uh, a conversation with some of his last ones that he's done. Um, Sticks yeah. and stones. Personally, I, I I put it above I put it above the raw now, but raw's yeah, right there. Um, I want to marry I want to marry Dave Chappelle. He's, I'm so in love. <laughs> I say shit to Dave and my biggest honor, like you giving me cred, give Norm cred for dirty work. When I say stuff to Dave, I will say it just to make him laugh. And it's sometimes wicked, you know, it's just wrong, but I'm not mean in it. I'm just saying it. Cause it's, what's the worst thing I could say. I'll say it to Dave. And then when he walks away and he's pounding on the furniture, that's the biggest compliment I can get that we're giggling like, like nine-year-olds, we're giggling like this. That's the fucking thing for me. That's why. Why but would the, I want to stop doing this? That's what we do it for. The yeah. camaraderie that comes with with this fraternity, you know, that we put together. Uh, you know, that's what this podcast is for. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a comics comic. I love comedians. I love to talk to comedians. I love to hear the stories, man. And that's that's another thing. Like, I know you talking about that moment with Eddie now. I know you got a shit ton of stories, Bob. I yeah. know you've been in some fucking green rooms where you've been in on a fly on a wall and, and have seen and said and been a part of. Like, to me, that's the most amazing thing about our craft. We, right. we love to have fun. We love to laugh. And when you surround us with our own, with our kind, oh, my God, it's endless. The opportunities are endless. My goal for, for, for a little while there, I actually, um, Sam Kennison was a friend. I met him in Houston when he couldn't get it hired because uh, he wow. was a, a faith healer. You know, he did that professionally. Came to the mm-hmm. comedy store. I was there for his first set uh, that he ever did at the comedy store. And all I tried to do was get out of green rooms that Sam was in because that would that would lead to no good. Sam was wild, right? <laughs> Sam Sam was a wild he guy. Was, he was crazy. He was a wild guy. I was on that, yeah. I was on that first young comedian special with him, and Rodney just fell in love with him. And that party after that special, I ended up going back to the hotel, or I would have died. Yeah, yeah you say uh, enough. I'm gonna go ahead and tap out, guys. Yeah, I'm gonna go I'm ahead gonna, and and tap out. I'm gonna need this nose for later. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in that in that era, you know, that's what it was. I was heavy cocaine in that area. Heavy, early early heavy. 80s. Early 80s. Yeah. yeah I, I got out there in 78. That's when you were born, right? I was born in 79. I was like Pinocchio and Pleasure Island. Jesus. <laughs> they, they said that they, that era, the comics back then, I mean, you know, that's that was the that was the go-to. That was the the what they did. It's just crazy to me when I hear Richard's stories yeah. and I hear, you know, Richard and, and everybody's back there. Richard will vocally say, yeah, man, we was doing cocaine in the back. And that's when I, I said, you know, it's just the, the, the conversation and the ease of information. Like, like, like as if it was no problem or no big deal. To me, that shit yeah. fascinates me when I hear those stories. Fascinates me. What about John Witherspoon? I love John. Were you close with John? Yeah. He was always, he called me Saget. Um, <laughs> I, I just love listening to him. I just love stories from him. 
And one of my best friends when I started, well, one of my first friends was Gary Shandling. Wow. That's one of the first people I became friends with at, at the comedy store. He was, in fact, he had a, a, a thing he used to do in his act, how to pick up girls. And, okay. uh, you know, and he would act like a nerd and he would eat Ovaltine out of a jar with a spoon in a bit. He did a bit. And I was the voice on the tape. Well, when one way to pick up a girl is to tell her how much you like her shoes. Why I like your shoes. <laughs> you know, that was the and then I was close with George Wallace. We were very close. We were hanging George out Wallace. Wow. Wow. George, George was uh, and is George is hilarious. Um, wow. It's, it's a lot of interesting people. Paul Mooney, I would watch Paul do his stuff. How was that relationship? How was that relationship with you and Paul? He was always cool to me. Always. Mm -hmm. And and because I found him funny. And he said stuff you cannot say. Mm -hmm. um, but I just found him funny because he was kind of back then. It was a way of blowing the lid off of what you can't say racially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he would just go, fuck it. I'm going to say it. And now it's a different it's a different world, but Paul's still alive and still doing it. Paul's still um, Paul. Paul's Paul is Paul. Okay. I, here's a, here's a question for you. You land a TV show. That's one thing I didn't ask you, you know, after you, you land this fucking hit of a show full house smacks the goddamn world. It becomes the biggest thing on television. What, what changed for you? You know, uh, did you, did you stay consistent to the craft as you were, having this crazy TV success or did you let it go for a while? Well, I, after one year of full house being on the air on ABC, I started hosting America's funniest home videos. Yep. So it was eight years of each. So I had two shows in the top 10 and full house had a hard go at first. And then so did Seinfeld that wasn't doing well either, but they believed in mm -hmm. shows back then. So they'd keep them on the air if they believed in them. And and that was family comedy. So a couple of years in, I started to have enough time because I was writing the video show. You know, those voices. Oh, look out. You know, this bad, <laughs> badass boy, terrible you, voice. You were part of the creative on uh, funny yeah, videos as well. Yeah. Yeah. Look out. Oh, my nuts. You know, whatever. And, and <laughs> <laughs> it's always the same thing. Look at me. Nothing could happen. Oy! You know, and turn into Jerry. <laughs> but, but. <laughs> But then I would go out and do stand up. And I remember doing an HBO special that I buried since then because it was, they, I didn't, they didn't know if I was fish or fowl. And sometimes people still have that problem with what's it going to be this time? Well, I'm, it's pretty clear what I'm going to be. Watch the trailer. You'll find out what it's, what it's going to be. But I mean, I, I then really, I was starting to tell you a while ago, I started to really lose my mojo for what I thought was funny. Mm. So I started to play places. I started to do Fat Tuesdays at the comedy store. You know what that was? I know what that was. Yeah. I'm going to be Fat in Fat Tuesdays. Right. So they're making a documentary about it and I'm in it. And I'm one of the few white guys in it because I came up and for six months, every Tuesday, I'd call Guy Tory or Joe and I would go up. So I was hanging out with Wanda and, and, and uh, let me make this very clear for our listeners. You know, Fat Tuesdays, uh, Fat Tuesdays was an urban night. Uh, in Los Angeles at at the comedy store, you know. Well, it was it was changed to the comedy store, but I think it had other had other homes as well. But right. this was your this was your urban night. This was you know it was black night, black comics, black audiences. So you know Bob is basically saying that for a while he made this spot his home. This is where he frequented it uh and and was finding cover i just i just wanted them to to understand so they yeah. knew what you were talking about we said fat tuesdays go about well uh, when i first got received i was so happy that i just went can i keep coming back and everybody, please please come back because you're one of the few people that has been able to do this uh and wow. and not but i had a i had a couple rough nights in it um because that's the nature of it that's the nature mm -hmm. of com comedy anyway do you feel like you were judged mortal because you had the TV success? Like, were the expectations higher? Oh, man, Bob's coming in. So we're expecting Bob to come in and do blah, 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 because Bob's got all his fucking success. Bob's coming in with all his TV success. I didn't address it that way. I was incredibly humbled because I felt lucky to be able to got be, par be part of it. And I wanted so badly to be part of it. Um, Got it. And, and so I was emotional about being there. And I think that's why I was able to do it because I was honest. And, and mm -hmm. sometimes I, I, I did pretty well sometimes. And they would go like, 
the audience laughed. I mean, you know, they were, they were digging it. So I'll never forget it. I mean, it was, it, it helped. I don't, I think it gave me this fake badass thing that I started doing that I, was me, but I went, <laughs> no, I, I just, there was a while. I, I this is not going to be a good sound, but I just wanted to be black. Um, there were many, how do I say that, Kevin? How do get me out of this? How do I do this? Well, you didn't, there, you didn't step in shit. You're okay. not saying anything. You didn't say anything wrong. Well, all my favorite comedians, all my favorite comedians were, were black are, um, except for, I don't know. And so I, I'm still digging a hole. Give me a favorite. Give me, give, you're not digging a hole. I would tell you if you were digging a hole, give me your, give me your three, give me your three. Well, um, I gotta say you, mm -hmm. thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Comedic rock star shit. Um, not so hard. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would say uh, Dave and, and Chris and Eddie, mm -hmm. um, Richard. I mean, I, I absolutely. I don't, I, don't, I don't think what you said, what you said is wrong. I mean, I think it's not, it's not a, a bad thing to, to be influenced or a fan of. You know, you're talking about a, a culture that you embraced and that embraced you back. So your your comment wasn't one of disrespect or something where it's oh fuck, what the fuck did Bob just what is that? So when you right. say it's like, just the opposite of that yeah. from intention. Yeah, no, it's 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 a uh, it's one of love, it's one of embrace. So uh you, there's no hole to to dig yourself out of. You didn't dig yourself a hole, Bob. You could. You Thank could. You. I would tell you if you weren't. Well, I, I also love Jerry. I also look at Jerry and I go, holy shit, how did he do Unreal. that? Unbelievable. How do you hone that? And, and Bill Burr to me is one of my favorite people on the earth. It was funny. I was talking to Bill. You'll, you'll, you'll like this because I know you like Bill and Bill loves you. I love Bill. I know. I know. And it's hard not to because he, he does this thing. And I, I say to him, it's a metaphor for me that you just, I said, Bill, you dive into a swimming pool with no water in it. And then you, and you somehow, you get out. You just don't know how you do it sometimes. And I was sitting, we were smoking a cigar in my yard, not long ago, actually. And uh, I was trying to inhale as much as I could in case he had COVID. And, um, <laughs> and I, I said, you know, Bill, he says, well, what, what do you, he asked me kind of what you're asking. You know, you're 64. What, do you, what are your plans? I went, well, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I've come here. I haven't done what I've come here to do yet. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, well, you better fucking hurry up. <laughs> you better, you better figure it out, Bob. Jesus Christ. You, better, you, you, you ain't no kid, Bob. <laughs> no, man, Bob, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you this, man. And I, and I really do mean this dude. It's, it's, it's so dope. It's so dope to not only, not only talk to, not only talk to comics, but comics that I simply respect and appreciate. And, you know, as, as I'm wrapping this up, Man, I want to tell you, I have a high level of respect and appreciation for your journey, your story. Like I, I love, I love, I love the story of, of a climb, right? And and this this profession that we've chose, it allows us to go through so many different uh, peaks, hills, valleys to get to different levels of success, and that success can be different for each and every single one of us, right? Yeah. It's not all the same. We all reach a different a different piece of it and get to touch it in a different way. Yeah. And I respect that. I appreciate that. And now you sit at the age 64 and you're still talking to me about going back on the road, doing another special, you're filming a movie, you're talking about your passion and love for directing. Uh, it, it's, it's something that makes me go, man, I can't wait to get there, right? I can't wait to be at that age and still smile and enjoy the craft of comedy. And that's what I take from this conversation, man. You still enjoy what you do. You still have a love. A love, for pure love. Craft, man. Yeah. And, and you special, always Bob. will, Kevin. You're so special. You got, so I'm not doing the lick each other up and down in show business moment, but you're very... Mm -hmm. You're a very special guy. I mean, you, you I no matter it. what, well, the energy and the joy that you have, and you can be serious as hell. You'll be doing dramatic work. I know you will, but mm -hmm. it, when you want to, but you're such a fun force 
it's so funny how much energy you come at the world with. And that's, I just fucking love it. It's just, Man. it makes me, makes me happy. When I was asked to do this, I was honored and I was just really happy because you make me, this is going to sound so fruity. You make me smile. I'm going to swipe right. Hey, Amen. <laughs> Let's go on Bumble. I don't know what we go on. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Comedy Gold Mines, and we get inside the minds of comedians. Oh, my God, what amazing minds they are. And today's mind was no different. Bob Saget, ladies and gentlemen. Bob, I appreciate you for allowing me to talk to you, man. This is just open dialogue. There is no roadmap to it. It's conversation. And I swear to you, man, I thoroughly enjoyed today's. Thank you so much. Uh, I meant everything that I said to you, dude. Keep on doing what you're doing. Keep being an example for this younger generation that, you know, when you find something, it's good to grab onto it and hold on to it and love it forever. And that's what you're doing, man. You're loving it for fucking ever. Bob Saget, ladies Thank and gentlemen. Thank you, Kevin. All right, Bob. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> love you, man. Love you back. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.